Good morning, folks. Uh, we're already five minutes late, so Dave asked me if I would open us in prayer this morning, and um, I got a short song to play for you. Um, so, Father God, in the name of your Son, the Lamb, we come before you this morning, and we pray for wisdom, and we pray for your might throughout this day, throughout our week. We pray that everything this morning would illuminate us and fulfill us with your word. And give us each an individual realization of you, Lord, in your majesty. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. 
what does God have to ask? Does the most high even know what's happening? Look at these busy people enjoying life even more than Christian people's life. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long, every morning breathing pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prospered. But what is the difficult task Then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and I finally understood the test of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and set them sliding over the prayer of destruction. And in an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terror. When you arise, O oh Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas, as a person laughs at a dream in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I would all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seen by the senseless animal view. Yet I still belong to you, you hold in my right hand. You guide me to counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Who have I in heaven to you? I desire you more than anything on earth, and my health do fail, and my spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who deserve him will perish. We destroy those who abandon him. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Amen. So, what's that psalm about? Daily life. Pardon? Daily life. It is about daily life. What what kind of things happen in daily life? Don't envy when the wicked prosper. Pardon? Don't envy when the wicked prosper. <laughs> And don't lose faith in God because they do what you don't. Right. So we look around and we see uh, that which isn't right in the world succeeding by the world's measure. Right? We see wealth and beauty and prosperity in the wrong places. And uh, it's an encouragement not to lose heart. Because he says, I pondered this to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. In a moment they're destroyed. And a lot of times, you know, we, we hold that uh, thought in our mind, but a lot of times we still get discouraged. Right? We get discouraged that um, the systems of the world seem to seem to be winning. And that's what Daniel chapter 4, in many ways, is about. Um, so we're, uh, we're in Daniel. I think we finished chapter 3 last week. Is that an accurate statement? We need to go back and... Okay. So in chapter 4 of Daniel... Um, the big idea is that God rules over the, the kingship or the governance of man. And that uh, we see that the overall organization of Daniel is such that uh, chapter 1 is written to the, the Hebrews that are captives. Uh, chapters 8 through 12 were written to that same audience, but chapters 2 through 7 are written to a, a global audience. They're written to the nations. And it uses the, the language of the nations, and it gives a very consistent message all the way through about God's sovereignty. The, we see in chapter 2 
that God is sovereign over uh, the epics of, of history, the events of history, and the times and the seasons. And we see then that in chapter 3 that God is sovereign over the lives of men, over life and death. And now we see in chapter 4 that God is sovereign over the governments of men. And this is, this is a really hard message. I made a, a statement last week that um, God places people where they are at and assigns them uh, responsibility or role in, in this world. Everybody in here was, was created for a purpose by God, and you were placed into your family, into your community, into your country, uh, into your church for uh, a reason. And sometimes people fail in what they were uh, created for. And so that uh, when, I, when I say that, Jim came up to me afterwards, and I'm going to pick on you, Jim, because I want you to clarify for me. Um, he said, what about guys like Hitler? Did God create them and put them in their position in government? And these are the kind of questions we ask when we see People that are placed in positions that we, how can they, how could God have possibly placed that despot in that position to do so much harm? Now, the questions that also need to be asked is, did God create that person to do evil? Sometimes people would say yes, God created, created evil. And I would object to that and I'd say, no, God didn't create evil. He created the possibility of evil. But each person has a responsibility such that when they appear before God to give account of their life, um, they're responsible for the choices that they've made, not that God made those choices for them. So that means that Hitler could have made a different choice. He didn't. And God knew the end from the beginning, so he knew that Hitler wasn't going to make the best choices. He knows that we are not going to make the best choices. And yet, God still, in his sovereign plan, sovereignty over the, the history of the world, the epics, sovereignty over life and death of individuals, and sovereignty over governments, he still is able to accomplish his plan. He knows the end from the beginning. And none of our choices can thwart ultimately his will or his plan although it may not be his desire. So I don't know if that answers some of the questions you might have of how could God put this bad person into a place of government and why should I be in subservience to them? And I've got hands going up all over here. I'll, I'll pick on Tim first. I'll get to you again. Uh, so you talk about the negative side, you know, in terms of can God put Hitler in the right place? But if you're trying to do God's will, mm-hmm. I mean, I still have a lot of questions on whether or not I should do this thing versus this thing versus this thing versus this thing, you know, and even though I believe he's truly put me in the family I have and he's blessed me abundantly, I still don't know if I should take this job or do this thing or sell this house or move here or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, given what you just said, how do you, I mean, to me it brings up the whole will of God for your life thing. So, yeah. can you, just a 
address the bigger picture and maybe even alleviate my fears a little bit. Because I would argue with my roommates in college about, you know, does God care what toothpaste you use? Yeah. Or what, you know, whatever. It, you know, and it kind of ended up, well, no, I don't think he really cares. It's just you've got this big thing over your life that you've got to serve him. Um, but how do you do that? How do you find your place? You said there was a place for everybody in this church. Yep. Some, some reason for being here, doing something. You know, but not everybody knows what that is or is doing it. And anyways, you've opened a big can of worms for me, so yes. help me out. That was, that was my intent, to open the can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Because these are the kind of questions we wrestle with. And when uh, Daniel said that Psalm 73... I think it was Daniel. He said, this is about everyday life. Uh, like the... Pardon? You said Daniel said in the Psalms. Daniel said in the commentary. Our, our Daniel. I said, what's the psalm about? He said, it's about everyday life. Sorry. Sorry for the confusion there. We're studying Daniel. Daniel studying Daniel. But the, the psalm, last verse of the psalm is, but as for me... The nearness of God is my good. So we understand that wisdom is a really hard thing. It isn't something that comes naturally to the fallen man. Rather, it's something that we need to request from God. And what you're talking about is, I need wisdom, because i got all these choices to make. How can the nearness of God be my good? I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And so let's let's see if we can't get there. So it's beyond that, okay? It's okay. not just wisdom for decisions every day. Okay, you're saying that there's a purpose. Yes. There's a reason for you. Okay. I, I think so that... What I'm is, is yeah. it takes more than just wisdom asking, you know, okay, should I do that to buy or Yes. No, 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 no. We've got What is that big thing? If there is a big thing for us... Yes. So will we understand? Will we understand all of the purpose of God in our lives and the way He created us? Uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are so much higher above ours as the heavens are above the earth. That's the Isaiah fifty-five, right? And I know that everything that I see cries out that there is a purpose. That's what's so disturbing and causes men to wrestle. That's what the root of philosophy is. Is that there must be a purpose behind this. It seems to be purposeful in all regards. I was listening to Rabbi Zacharias as I was racing down the road here hoping I didn't get a ticket. Uh, And he's one of the great uh, philosophers of our day. And I say a philosopher because he's a defender of the faith. He is an apologist par excellence as far as presenting the truth of God's scripture and showing how the philosophies of men fail miserably in that life. And the basic underlying premise of everything that he has to say is that there is a purpose. We may not fully understand it, but we can embrace it. And we can ask for wisdom to operate within the purpose that God has upon our life and that's that's uncomfortable because we don't know everything guess what, we want to know everything that's what went wrong in the garden 
there was a temptation that you can know everything. You can be just like God. You can decide what good and evil is. And it's like, no, it doesn't quite work like that. There's a whole element of we're not God. We are the creature. And he is the creator. And that we need to trust in him. That's why I say the last verse of that song is so critical. Um, I was going to say, with kind of what you're saying, that um, as far as following his plan for us, it's, it's evident when you read, especially in the Old Testament, that no matter what we do, and especially when there is evil or corruption and bad, he uses those things directly into his history time and time and time again. So, like you said, we need to trust him. We have trust that he will use what we do as his victory, like Israel, the nation of Israel, we would have been put back in Israel if it wasn't for Hitler. Right? So that's an example of that. And then right. the Bible tells us these examples. So like and David was saying in that song that he'll trust the Lord to do his mighty works through us. And so if we're trying to follow God's plan for us and to be righteous, then we could be nothing better than that. And he will take the things we do that serve him and our failures and use us for his victory no matter what we do. So that's that's a good that's a good perspective to enter into our text this morning. <clears throat> so the reason I stirred up the pot and opened the can of worms <laughs> is because I want us to see what chapter four of Daniel is really about. Right? God speaks to this problem. Um, let's go ahead and read chapter four of Daniel. <clears throat> the prophet Daniel. We read Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. So this is a personal, first-person narrative by Nebuchadnezzar. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful, and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay upon my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. 
but with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the new grass of the field, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let the beast's mind be given to him. Let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is the command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it upon whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. And the king responded and said to Belteshazzar, said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. <clears throat> Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, and the new dew new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation of him. This is the decree of the Most High God, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you will be given grass to eat, cattle, and be drenched with dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the, world was in the, king, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing, surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So tell me what's happening in this story. Who are the characters? What's the setting? What's the plot? Characters are Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, and God. Mm-hmm. What's the setting? Continued self by Nebuchadnezzar. Pardon? Like place setting or? Yeah, so what, where's, where is, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a courtroom setting again. It's the king's court. So you get the inner chamber uh, story. What's really going on behind the scenes. So what's, the, what's the plot of this story? What's the action that moves it along? Dream. Have a dream again. So how is this dream different than the dream he had before? This is a personal dream instead of a dream about his kingdom. Yeah, the other dream was about the future and the uh, the empires that would follow. Kind of the epics of time. But this dream is a personal dream. It's about Nebuchadnezzar personally. What's the what's the statement in that dream without repeating the whole thing? His pride is uh, he needs to be humble. Well, he he is a proud man, that's clear. And he takes credit for doing something that God did. Yeah, he falls. God is sovereign. Pardon? God is sovereign in the rising and falling of kingdoms. And that's what that's what he learned. So in a way, we get to see Nebuchadnezzar's comment on this own on, on this thing that happened in his own life. So this is a personal first person account of what he learned, which is interesting. Because this, yeah, this is a testimony. This is Daniel recording the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. First person account of what what King Nebi learned. And it's it's about how there was, um, under his rule, many were blessed. That doesn't mean that everything he did was a blessing. Got to remember, he was a conquering king. So he went in and he took lands all the way down to Egypt, went all the way up uh, north of Syria, all the way uh, east as far as halfway through uh, Iran into Persia. Um, He was, at that point in time, in that place in the world, he was the king uh, among all kings. He was the head king. He was, uh, he owned the world. 
in this part of the region. Now, we don't know about other parts of the world because they're not disclosed to us in Middle Eastern literature, but we know that he was the king, and everybody came to him, and ultimately there was a blessing that he did the administrative duties of his kingship in a way that provided protection, it provided uh, food and provision for people, um, you know, we, and that's the, the picture of the tree. It was great in height, went all the way to the heavens, and the birds would come, and they would find place to live in the branches, um, the, the animals would come underneath, and they'd be pr protected and feeding on the fruit of the tree. So this is what King Nebuchadnezzar, in doing his job right, had accomplished. And yet, he took credit for that. Right? He, he, uh, we find out later in the story, 12 months after he has this dream, he's walking on his, on his roof and he's looking out over the expanse of all that he sees. He says, man, I did a good job. Right? And this is all mine. I did it. This is for my glory. And uh, so what you see is in the dream, sure enough, there is a reason for bragging. But it isn't a reason for bragging on his account. It's a reason for bragging about the way God forms administrations to provide for people. That governance is a creation of God in order to effectively um, allow us to execute the jobs that he's designed us for. Remember, when we were created, we were created um, to be caretakers, to be stewards, to participate in God's creative activity. Not as creators, but as stewards of creation. And it is a very... Um, high job that man was given. Go back to Genesis and you look at the delegation of authority to man from God. It's an awesome thing. That's what we were created for. Right? And that what these governance, these social structures and these, and these uh, cultural structures are intended to do is to support us in doing our job well. Just like when we talk about the church, the church a lot of times people get all sideways about the church. You know, we're in a Baptist church. Well, there's a Methodist church down the road. There's a uh, Catholic church down that way. Uh, so we get all bent out of shape on the denominations of churches, right? Well, what is the church? The body of Christ. It's the people. So that church is universal. It's worldwide. But at the same time, there are local administrations that are formed, institutions that are, the institution is there to serve the function of the body. And that that's why churches have governments. And some governments um, work better for certain kinds of people and functions. So I would say that a congregational form of governance works really well for the people that, are, that God's put here. You're, you're a member of a Baptist church, right? This is a congregational government, uh, governance type institution. And that that happens to work for the roles that God has assigned us. And it may be that there is a more uh, uh, structured form that might work for a different kind of God's affecting his work in this world. Such that the government of the church, whether it's uh, more Episcopal in nature, where you have uh, a bishop structure, and uh, more of a, or even maybe a, a corporate structure where you've got a CEO and then kind of a business model, that those serve different purposes in organizing such that the body can be effective, that governance is of God. 
and that differences in governance are not necessarily bad. It's for different ways of affecting purpose. And so what happened is, is that King Nebuchadnezzar, in doing the governance things that he was supposed to do, did a good job. Even though as a conquering king, he was brutal and needed to be held in account for that. Right? Um, but what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar thought that this was his doing. And so in his dream, he sees that there is a, a decree from on high that says... Okay, we're going we're gonna to teach you who's really in charge here. Now, we're not going to totally have you removed, but we're going to take that tree and chop it down such that your governance, that which you think you did, is, is not yours any longer. Now, did these people uh, suffer when Nebuchadnezzar, the, the people that he governed, did they suffer when he was removed from his position? Yeah, that, that God had designed that Nebuchadnezzar was to be that king at that point in history to bless people. And through his own choices, he didn't bless the people. And so the people suffered. Now, this is actually recorded in extra-biblical literature, that there was a gap in the period of Nebuchadnezzar's rule where... Uh, it looks like maybe uh, one of his sons was ruling in his stead. And they, it, it's, it's not clear what was going on. So it's kind of like if... Uh, so um, these kings had long, long ruling times, so it's not like they were replaced every four years like in our country um, or could be replaced every four years. So he, he's got this long run of years, and they didn't want to totally... Uh, take away his effective authority when he got ill. King Nebi got ill. And they put him out to pasture. Right? Um, but they didn't want to, you know, let everybody know, hey, the king is gone, and you know, because that would look like a coup. And so they, they it wasn't about a coup. It was about King Nebuchadnezzar learning a lesson. And so this is actually recorded in extra-biblical history that there was this gap period of about seven years where Nebuchadnezzar didn't seem to have his hand on the, the rudder of the kingdom, but it proceeded apart from him. And in that period of time, we find out from the Bible that um, he was actually out grazing like a cow. That's, that's pretty low. Um, well, he evidently did. Now, we're not designed to eat grass, so we don't digest grass. Um, there, there's other alternatives, which I won't go into, that you go, ew, that really happened. But um, there was, and this, this disease that he had, this mental illness, uh, is actually documented. It's in the... DSMR, so you can find this particular <laughs> mental disorder. It has a, uh, a title, and so they know that it exists. It's rare, but people occasionally think they're an animal. They think they're a dog, or they think they're a cow, or something like that. In this case, Nebuchadnezzar uh, succumbed to a mental illness where he had no right thinking in his mind. Um, and that 
it wasn't just something that he ate, where he ate something bad and it took seven years to work its way out of the system. That this was something that was of divine decree, God ordered this, and that it was immediate. And God said, okay, now is when the lesson starts. It started immediately at that point. And it happened in such a way that it wasn't so disruptive that he couldn't come back into kingship. That's the whole story of the iron band. What's that iron band about? Well, that iron band means that um, his kingdom would be bound, that it would be limited. So this was actually the beginning of the limiting of Babylon. And Babylon, as uh, an effective empire, started declining. Even though it was subsequent years, and uh, a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, a guy by the name of, you'll find out in the next chapter, where he gets tried, and his name is Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, but Belshazzar. And he is the, the son of Nabonidus, who was uh, one of the, um, married the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So, we see that a later king, grandson, uh, ends up losing the kingdom to the Persians. But the decline actually started in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And that's probably what that iron band about the trunk is about. It's about limiting and binding the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. I have a question about, uh, while Nebuchadnezzar was in the same state, the Samuel-like state, and the people suffered, doesn't that somewhat indicate oh, that Nebuchadnezzar actually was doing a good job? He was doing something right. That's, that's why the tree got so big and so many were blessed, even though, I mean, Daniel and his friends were blessed. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and they preserved God's people because that's, God preserved his people right. for 70 years. Yep. And, and God knew that, that those people were not uh, destined to be citizens of Persia, although today uh, there are Jews in Iran. You know how Iran government officially has a company line, you know, we're going to kill the Jews, Jews are bad. Well, there's a good portion of their population that's Jewish. They're remnants of this diaspora that occurred in this period of time, and that the Persians eventually conquered the Babylonians, and those people stayed where they were. Right? We understand that under the story of Esther. That Queen Esther came and preserved the Jews in their place in Susa, which was in Persia. And so, um, some of those people, descendants of those people, are still there today. But it wasn't God's ultimate plan that that would be the, um, that the nation would be preserved as Babylonians or Persians or uh, Greeks, or rather that they would be uh, a unique nation, which they persist to this day, the nation of Israel, um, and that they would be exceptional not because of who they were, but because of what the role that they have is in, in God's economy. Is to what's what's the role of the the Jewish nation? This shows, but, um, this shows the, the nature of God by way of the nation. In the place of the Persian, mm-hmm. uh, they failed. We can compare our failures 
to that and, um, and how, how God intercedes for them we can compare to our redemption. Right, so you've used words of, of intercessor, um, one that would demonstrate who God is. They're, they're in the role of a priest. And when we study the, the prophet, the priest, and the king, um, they're not a king. They're not the king nation. Rather, they're a priestly nation. They're a nation of priests that bring people to God. That's what their job is now. What, wasn't that a great job to have, to bring people to God? When Peter talks to the church, he says, you are believer priests. We are supposed to be bringing people to God and in a priestly role. That's one of the jobs that we have. We may have other jobs as well. But in that sense, we participate as the nation of Israel, which was set apart to, to show and, and serve that role for um, God's economy to the world. Um, we also share in that. But that's what they were designed for. So, um, sure enough, they needed to be separated out to do this job. And that's what we see today. They've been separated out. But nonetheless, this administration that was set up in Babylon um, was limited and bound. And that Nebuchadnezzar learned who actually sets up governments. I mean, that's his own declaration. Uh, so he says that this was, uh, the, when, when we read about what he says... He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That means we don't bring merit on our own. It isn't that we're special or good or have great wisdom that God would say, oh yeah, these guys got a great idea. Let's set up a, a Democratic Republican form of government. A Republican, a Republican form of government where you're you know, represented uh, and yet you still have a vote in that and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't something that Ultimately, it was something new that man originated, like God had never thought of this before, right? But no, um, in that sense, we're accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? He goes on, he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just. So Nebuchadnezzar learns this lesson about who actually sets up and establishes governments and what the purpose of government is and what his role in that is. So in that sense, he is humbled. Now, we don't know... Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you would, would think... Uh, since Nebuchadnezzar is, in this story, the protagonist, so he's undergoing change, and he declares that change in a very personal revelation of this story, how do you think his life would be changed? So sometimes people have experiences and they make a confession, but, man, it doesn't look like they lived any different. you think Nebuchadnezzar lived different after this? <clears throat> what kind of things would have changed? Pardon? Yeah, he would have he would have had a completely different view about uh, how things were actually working, right? Rather than uh, being totally by his command, he would see start seeing the fingerprints of God, the working of God in things. I think he would be kinder, more Pardon? kind, and more attentive to the poor. 
Yeah, it sure seems like his, his tone of voice is, is uh, softened a lot. You know, instead of shouting out, throw them in the fire, you know, toast these boys. He's like, whoa, I really screwed up. You know? I think his theology changed a lot, too, because when he's talking to Daniel about interpreting his dream, he keeps saying that the spirit of the gods, little g, is in him. Yep. At least the NASB puts it that way. Yep. And, uh, and yet, by the end of this, he is declaring the supremacy of the God of the universe. Yes. Uh, and he's probably questioning those little g gods now. That, that you see happening uh, in his language, and that... He was uh, polytheistic, had many gods, and the names that were given to uh, the, those that served in his court reflected the different gods that they had, Aku and Bel and, and uh, the others, uh, Bebo. And so all of a sudden he goes from <clears throat> the spirit of the gods is in you to, oh, there is this one god. So certainly he was undergoing some change in theology. Now we don't know that he actually gave up all of his other gods or that he gave up his idols or any of those things. But we know that he certainly understood that there was uh, a God, the God uh, of Israel that um, actually did what he said. It seems like um, from his language that it would have totally altered his posterity, but yet you find that his posterity still has no knowledge, even almost, of the one true God. Once to, you know, once it comes time for Daniel to get thrown in the lion's den, yeah. like, well, where did this, where did that information go? You know, so I think that he must have kept his other God because his own son um, didn't didn't serve. God. So, so this is this is a good question. Um, or a good observation, and that his children don't turn out so well. Um, does that necessarily mean that the parent... No. It's yeah. not genetic. It's not that <laughs> right. Although we certainly understand that, that good teaching at home makes a difference. And in our formative years, though, he was, he was a fucked up guy. I mean, it wasn't... Yeah. Uh, the years that he had where he could have really influenced them. Yep. And he had his heart right. So I think that is yeah. right. yeah. And his kids could have thought, okay, you just came out of being an animal. Yes. <laughs> and uh, perhaps this is just another one of your phases. Yes. Yeah, it's like, you know, Bob Dylan, the Christian phase. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's very true. But one of the things that you see is that Nebuchadnezzar, for whatever reason, God chooses to do a lot of stuff in his life. And that the transformations that occur in his life um, really are pushing him in the right direction as a person. And that's encouraging. It seems like we were never intended to have a story about Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to have a story about David's lineage continuing on. Yes. So it's kind of interesting how God uses outside sources to accomplish his task yes. for judgment, yes. which, which I think gets us back to that initial question about Hitler. Yep. Well, and, and that's where, let's take a step back and look at the bigger story. So Nebuchadnezzar 
was part of God's plan to um, take the nation of Israel, which had become um, so full of idolatry that they were ineffective in their job of, of representing him to the world, him being God. So God said, I'm going to do something that even though I'm telling you in advance, you won't believe it. I'm going to bring the Babylonians in, these ruthless, brutal people, to conquer you and take you captive. So that's the, the revelation that's given to Habakkuk, right? Um, and because Habakkuk's crying out and saying, God, it's so messed up. What's going on? And God says, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm fixing this. And the way I'm going to do it, you won't believe, because I'm choosing Babylonians, these Gentile uh, animals that are just ruthless, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar was that sharp point of the sword. He was the conquering king that came in, and he didn't believe at the time that he was doing God's purpose. He thought he was doing his purpose, that he was building his kingdom. But God could see all of history. And for whatever reason, he chose that uh, he would reveal this to Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, first he gets the vision that, oh, there are multiple empires. I may be ahead of gold, but there's after me a kingdom of silver and bronze and iron, and that each of these have different characteristics and um, forms of administration, which persist to this day, by the way. Um, we still have the idea of Persian law. We still have the idea of Roman Republic. We still have these concepts that came about through these major empires. And he gives this vision to Nebuchadnezzar, and it changes him just a little bit. It's like, oh. And then we get this other uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar changed again. It's like, oh, I guess I don't control life and death either. Threw these guys in the furnace, and uh, you know, I threw three in, and four walking around. What's going on here? Right? And then he gets this vision that, oh, God actually set up the whole administration and that this is for the blessing of all. And in this period, in the backstory, you have the Jews that, you remember, they took, the, the Babylonians took the last king of Judah. You know, does anybody know who that was? Sometimes he's, he's called Jeconiah, Jehoiachin. He reigned three months as a young, almost a child king. And he was taken captive um, as part of one of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's um, insertions into Jerusalem. Jeconiah, who's listed in the genealogy in Matthew, um, he was later given liberty in the king's court such that even though he wasn't allowed to return home, he was no longer kept in the dungeon. That he had a regular uh, allowance from King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar started giving these Jewish captives privilege. Maybe it was because of these things that were going on in the transformation in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And that he could see that, oh, there's a bigger story happening. So he gave privilege to the Jewish, the last Jewish king, Jehoiachin. And from that line, the line of David, came Shealtiel and Zerubbabel. And these were the guys that took the Jewish captives back into the land. That they were the ones that went in and uh, rebuilt the temple. 
and rebuilt the wall under Nehemiah, right? So the Persians had already come in and conquered at that point when those guys went forward. But they're the remnants of these Jews that had privilege in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And so there is a bigger story going on. And you see that Nebuchadnezzar started taking his hands off a little bit and realizing, hey, it isn't all me. And this is the story of, it isn't all me. He actually realizes that God is involved in everything that occurs. And we need to understand that. God is involved in everything that occurs. So, let's take Hitler as an example. Now, i got two minutes left. <laughs> Classic Dave. Okay, so let's, let's take a bad leader as an example. A Hitler. Okay, so there is a bad leader in, in a position of authority that can do incredibly destructive things. What do you do? When is it okay for you to disobey God's delegated uh, authority and government? When you are uh, required by that authority to break God's law. Yes, that would be one instance. So if... Um, if you are commanded to do something that you know is morally wrong because of uh, a, an evil leader, it is okay to choose the right and not the wrong. God commands us actually to choose the right and not the wrong. So in that sense, we would be uh, not submitting to the government that God has put in place. Well, this is where we need to understand wisdom. We need to have wisdom to understand what right and wrong is, and we need to be looking at the larger fingerprints of God. Right? So, um, we need to understand that God is involved in the course of history. There may be times when... Uh, it's appropriate to completely rebel and say, I will not participate in that. There are other times when it's appropriate to say, I'm going to step in and try and change this. So you see both of those in a leader like Martin Luther King. Through, uh, he recognized that there were times to say, this is wrong, we can't go there. And because that's wrong and we can't go there, we are going to step up and try and do this to change the system. To influence good, because that which God has ordained is good by design. And if an evil leader takes that sideways, let's try and change that in a positive way rather than in a rebellious way. So there are times when that happens. So sometimes people are designed to actually be that leader. And, and this is where it gets scary because we may disagree with some of those leaders. We don't have all the information. And sometimes people make decisions in a leadership role that we say, that's the stupidest thing. I can't imagine what, you know, that person cannot be doing God's will. So we have to look uh, as, as we can with the wisdom of God. What does God look at? He looks at the heart. Right? So we need to ask God, okay, what's the heart of this issue? We need to first be in prayer, then we need to look for God, draw near to Him. And then we need to choose, which is what Tim was 
getting at earlier. We need to make choices. But since you brought me up, yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to conscientiously object, yep. okay, you have to be prepared to take the consequences. Correct. With the attitude like Shatter, me second better, that's where yes. I fall down. Yes. To say, look, I'm not going to do this, and you can do whatever you want with me, and my God may deliver me or not. That's right. But it doesn't matter because I'm not going to do that. That's so right. That because attitude is what. Yes, and that's, and that's the attitude of the psalmist here in Psalm 73. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made uh, the Lord God their refuge. They sacrificed their lives. They sacrificed their lives. They gave them up. Absolutely, they did. When they went to the king and said, we're not making a defense here. They had forfeited their lives at that point. They knew that. There's, there's a lot more in here, and I took you guys over. I'll just uh, go through some of the application points real quick. Um, file these away. And then I need to mention I won't be here next week, uh, so I, somebody else will be filling in. Um, human leaders are appointed by God. So therefore, we have a, an obligation to acknowledge and obey God's authority, Romans 13.1. That's part of what's being displayed here in sovereignty. Uh, God may show mercy and grace when we repent. So this evil leader was given an opportunity to repent. That's what Daniel said. Hey, buddy, change your ways. Um, God's will will be done with or without us. God's plan does not depend upon us, but he invites us to join. We are not self-made men. Really important uh, point there. All people have a role in God's kingdom. Pride is confronted and punished. You see that in 1 John 1.8. True security is in God, not in oneself. And we should disobey uh, the authorities, when they cause us to sin, or when God has given us authority, and, and let me expand upon that for one second, and then we'll end in prayer. God has given us authority in caring for others, caring for our family, caring for widows, caring for orphans. This is an authority that God has given you. And when God has given you an authority, you need to honor that authority that he has delegated to you first before you honor the authority that he has given to a government second. That, this is how we resolve some of the, the ethical dilemmas that come up around, is it okay to protect your family if somebody breaks in your door with a shotgun? Yes. Right? So this is a big issue. That's why I really told we were out of time. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then you're gone next week. And then I'm going to be gone next week. And I'm, my email is available to y'all, so if y'all really have questions on this stuff, because what I just opened the can of worms and stirred up is a whole bunch of ethical dilemmas, moral dilemmas that occur. And uh, what we have here is the blueprint for how we resolve this. So uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for opportunity to um, study your word and understand truly who you are as the king, the sovereign over all uh, all of creation, over all kings and kingdoms in this world, 
Lord, that um, your desire is for the good of your creation and your people. And uh, Lord, we know that. And even though we don't understand your purpose and sometimes, um, and we certainly need your wisdom in making the right decisions, Lord, we ask for that. Uh, Lord, we trust you in that what you're doing, and we're looking for your fingerprints. Please help us perceive them and make them obvious to us because we're kind of dull, at least I know I am. And, uh, and Lord, we need your help in being able to see you and draw near to you, Lord. So we ask for that today. And Lord, we thank you for your provision for us and your protection of us, uh, that ultimately all things reside in your hand, and that even that which you've delegated... Um, ultimately comes back to you and Lord we just thank you for that that we are safe in you and we ask that you be with Bob this morning as he brings your word uh, to your people ask that the Holy Spirit would empower him and uh, would affect hearts that would turn towards you Lord we thank you for this in your name we pray Lord Jesus Amen Amen